When my family moved to Elkader, Iowa in 1992, we were told about a devastating flood that had taken place a year before. On the night of June 14, 1991, about 13 inches of rain fell in the space of a few hours, causing the Turkey River to overwhelm its banks. Downtown businesses and, and homes were heavily damaged. Not to worry though, this was a 500-year flood and surely wouldn't happen again in our lifetime. And then the floods of 1993 happened. And 1999 on the nearby Volga River, which destroyed two small towns. And in 2004 and 2008, 500 years became five years pretty quick. And in the middle of a terrible drought, the river in El Cater crested at the fourth highest level on record this year. Being on flood cleanup in 1999, I remembered just how destructive the water was. Those of you who were part of cleanup efforts for the Red River floods can attest to this. Entire homes gone, town infrastructure destroyed, many people lost everything. Few forces in nature are as destructive as water. Water is the great cleanser and sustainer of life. It is also the great destroyer. In the flood-prone Fertile Crescent, it is little wonder that flood imagery became so powerful, including the historical memory of a worldwide flood. Indeed, the destructive aspect of water takes precedence over its life-giving aspect in the first nine chapters of Genesis. Water is representative of primordial chaos over which God has the power to restrain or unleash. So when Amos uses flood imagery in 524, he would have aroused alarm and shock among Israel's elite. Amos was an unlikely prophet. A shepherd and vine dresser from Tekoa, a town in Judah to the south, he moved to the northern kingdom of Israel following God's call. Back then, prophets would usually come from a particular school. Elijah and Elisha both oversaw groups of prophets. Isaiah, in the southern kingdom of Judah, seems to have overseen a school as well. However, Amos is a, a consummate outsider. He hasn't gone to a prophetic school. He doesn't have the right credentials. He's not even in the right place. But this is where God has placed him, and he doesn't mince words. At the time of Amos' ministry, the good times are rolling in Israel. Trade has brought a lot of wealth into the kingdom. The regional superpowers, Assyria and Egypt, are relatively quiet. Things are stable. But Amos, the buzzkill at the party, throws cold water on all. He points out that only a very few have become wealthy and that their wealth has been made through oppressing and dehumanizing the populace, seeing them as an economic commodity, nothing more. That their beautiful worship, laden with song and sacrifice, is hateful because it does not translate into tangible justice. Where the elite of Israel see reverence and righteousness, Amos sees emptiness and exploitation. 
So when we get to 524, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, one of MLK's favorites, we hear a summons for God's justice. The NRSV words it, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. But the word translated roll down could be translated well up or flow forth. In other words, this sounds a lot like the waters bursting from the great depths during the flood. Amos is asking for God's justice to burst forth like the flood. That's a dangerous thing to say. And it highlights just how dangerous God's justice is. For us today, most of us would rather think about God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's grace. We often forget that mercy, forgiveness, and grace mean nothing without justice. Without God's anger over injustice, God's mercy is meaningless. Without God's wrath over sin, God's forgiveness doesn't mean much. Mercy without accountability is just as empty as worship without amendment of life. So where do we participate in injustice today? in America in 2021? The answer is sadly everywhere. The gas we fill up our cars with, which is refined from oil that is piped through vulnerable lands inhabited by vulnerable people. The rare earth minerals mined in China or Mongolia that go into our smartphones and computers assembled by workers for pennies. The coffee and chocolate we consume, often farmed by children. The index funds and our pension plans, which invest in companies with terrible records on human rights and the environment. The continued polarization and radicalization of our society, exacerbated by social media, where the consumer is the product. To live in America in the 21st century is to participate in a system that is inherently unjust. Indeed, all human-devised systems, whether economic or political, are part of a tower of Babel that we've been building since the dawn of human civilization. So what then? Why bother, you might wonder, if everything we do leads to one injustice or another? Because God calls for streams of justice or living water, as Jesus calls them today, to come forth from the human heart. God's own justice and mercy make this happen. God's judgment will sweep away all our cleverly devised systems like a flood. The injustice, the exploitation, the commodification of humanity will one day be washed away. But this washing isn't just about externals. It's also, and perhaps just as more importantly, internal. The judgment of God and the mercy of God are carried out in every single baptism. These waters are unleashed every time someone comes to this font to be received into God's family. When Nova is baptized in a few minutes, this water will pour forth in her heart. The old sinful human nature will be drowned, washed away, and a new person The new person that God 
created in her will be raised up. She will die and she will be raised. A pattern that will continue throughout her life until it is brought to its completion in Christ. So it is the same with us. As Luther wrote in baptism, the old person in us with all sins and evil desires is to be drowned through daily sorrow for sin and repentance. And that daily a new person is to come forth and rise up to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. The pattern of baptism in which God's justice takes root in us starts here and is carried out every single day of our lives. The Christian life is a school in learning God's ways of justice and mercy, an alternative to the accepted ways of the world. It is about being subversive to the way the world is, striving for God's justice and shalom in all the earth, even if they are in ways that seem small to us. We may be captive to sin and unable to free ourselves, but Christ graciously gives us another way to be, a way that offers forgiveness, makes us right with God and our neighbor, and frees us to do justice. I'll leave you with another Luther quote that sums up the Christian life, including the striving for God's justice and shalom. This life, therefore, is not godliness, but the process of becoming godly. Not health, but getting well. Not be being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not now what we shall be, but we are on the way. The process is not yet finished, but it is actively going on. This is not the goal, but it is the right road. At present, everything does not gleam and sparkle, but everything is being cleansed. Let it be so in us. Thanks be to God.